We believe running is freedom and empowerment. We believe running solves problems and makes people happy. We even believe that if more people run, the world will be a better place. We believe in running because it is our passion. This is the Big Peach Running Company Run ATL Podcast with your host, Mike Cosentino. From the capital of the South, this is the Run ATL Podcast. My name is Mike Cosentino. I'm your host alongside my co-host, your friend, Dolomite D2, Dave Martinez. D2, welcome back, sir. Yeah, good to be back. And I mean, when you and I are still kind of, you know, uh, recording separately and virtually and social distance, but I do look forward to the day that we will be sitting together because I do think it's probably been since last year since you and I have been face to face. My goodness. Yes, it has. I look forward to getting back together where we can be shoulder to shoulder to do these, but the time is not yet. The reality is technology, our friend, we have not really missed a beat. I think in many instances, the audio quality, maybe it's just your masterful work is just as good as when we're actually right next to each other. Yeah, I mean, we've we've tried different platforms. We've tried, you know, uh, you know, got you know Skype, which I think is an antiquated, you know, it's been around for like forever for decades, I think. And uh, we had some issues with connectivity and people kind of dialing in, and people like, "What do you mean you're still on Skype?" You know, and uh, so we've kind of moved and done a various other platforms, including GoToMeeting and Google Meet. So um, yeah, so I think it's it's working out. You know, we've we've managed to continue to make improvements, and uh, you know. You know, working. I'm still working on a studio. I'm still working on on securing a space and and building out a studio, a true uh, podcast studio. Well, we will stop at nothing to bring you the best audio quality a B grade B grade retail operation budget will allow. D two <laughs> way to get our dollars stretched. We will also go to every single link to bring you the best in featured conversations today. We have outdone ourselves. Jonah McDonald, we have a local here. Somebody has been in our midst that we've not showcased in the past. This is long overdue. He quick became a friend of mine, will not be the last he interacts with Big Peach Running Company. You, too, if you are not yet aware of Jonah McDonald, become a fast and big fan of his. He is an author. He's an adventure guide. He's a local park ranger. He is an unbelievable storyteller. And we will allow him to put all of his skills on full display. You are going to enjoy this as we talk about a couple of his books. We'll introduce those right now. We'll let him go into detail on it. And I will not hide the fact that when we come back on the backside of this conversation, we are going to give away his books. He's the author of Hiking Atlanta's Hidden Forest. That's right. He wrote that 2014. There are still very much hidden forests you need to know about for your hiking, for your walking, for your trail running. And more recently, last year, imagine getting a book published in 2020. You need to have something that is riveting for that to be the case and for somebody to take you seriously about putting this on your digital or actual selves shelves secret Atlanta. A Guide to the Weird, Wonderful, and Obscure. That is his most recent work. Such good stuff. You are going to enjoy Jonah to the fullest degree. We're going to bring him to you unedited. We're not going to waste any time. There are book giveaways and special announcements on the backside of this. In the meantime, let's take a really brief break. Come back. Jonah McDonald, unedited after this brief message. At Big Peach Running Company, we know that not everyone identifies themselves as a runner. Running isn't about a start or finish line. It's not about time or pace. It's freedom. It's a break. It's time for yourself. We take pride in listening to your needs. We make sure you get the right shoes so you can get back to enjoying your time. Big Peach Running Company has been voted as one of the best running stores in America by people like you. Visit us at any of our seven Metro Atlanta area locations or visit us at bigpeachrunningco.com. And welcome back to the Run ATL Podcast, D2. We have been so looking forward to this conversation. The term well-rounded comes to mind as we introduce everyone to our featured conversation for today. Storyteller, author, adventure guide, park ranger, and so much more, including many personal responsibilities I know he takes very seriously. Ladies and gentlemen, it is genuinely my pleasure to bring you Jonah McDonald. Hello, Ranger. <laughs> yeah, that's what I go by these days. Good to see you, Mike. Um, this is uh, this is Ranger Jonah now that I work for DeKalb County. 
Um, and I'm really glad to be on your podcast. Well, it's, it's awesome to have you. I already mentioned this to you before D2 fired us up. And that is that I discovered you through one of your books and one that I wish I would have known about even sooner, but have enjoyed kind of getting to know a little bit better. And more specifically, for those of you taking notes, Hiking Atlanta's Hidden Forest. Jonah did that over five years ago now, but imagine that, Atlanta's Hidden Forest. So Jonah, I have to start there, given the fact that this is the Run ATL podcast. What was the inspiration for that type of manuscript, not only Hidden Forest, but thinking about hiking Atlanta, not North Georgia, not the Appalachian Trail, not so many other predictable places, hiking Atlanta's hidden forest. What was the inspiration? Great question. So the Appalachian Trail is actually what inspired me originally. I hiked the whole Appalachian Trail. I like to remind people it's 2,172.4 miles um, <laughs> all the way from Maine down here to Georgia. So I, I walked I walked here to Atlanta. And when I got here, I had an idea of what adventuring what hiking, what walking, what running was really all about. And it was about going to the most extreme, wild places. And those places always took a long drive. Well, so I found myself one day, uh, I was leading outdoors adventures for school children, and I had a group of second graders in a school bus, and I drove them two hours up to the mountains to the real nature, to a real hike. I got them out of the bus. We had an hour and a half hiking. We got the hiking done. We got back in the bus and drove two hours back to Atlanta with a group of second graders. And I realized there had to be a better way. Well, of course there's a better way because Atlanta is a city in the forest. And I started looking around for all the hidden green spaces. Well, it may not be hidden to, to you because maybe in your neighborhood, Mike, you know that hike. But all around our city, I found over, well, up to date, I've now found over 170 honest-to-goodness hikes that you can do in our city. And so I wanted a guidebook that would tell me where all those were, <laughs> uh, and it didn't exist. Mm -hmm. So it became my project, and I am so proud of it because I, I believe that people are starting to redefine what our city is, and in in one way, what our city is, is a city where you can connect with nature just around the corner from your house. Well, and I remember when I first moved here back in 1994, that was kind of the mindset that Atlanta was that city among the trees. Now, here we are, fast forward 2021, and I think there's been this invitation that we've all accepted to be outdoors more maybe than ever, but certainly collectively, we're seemingly seeing more steps taken by more people than what we ever had before. Your book, your content, quite frankly, your imagination, and ultimately your hard work to put this together has never been more relevant. Any chance you might share some of those hidden forests or routes with us, just a couple, to whet our appetite, given the fact there are so many more people who are looking for a way to get out for an hour or two, maybe right now. Yeah, let me give you a few suggestions. You know, every time I tell people I write, I wrote a guidebook about hiking in Atlanta, people very excitedly say, have you ever heard of this place called Stone Mountain? <laughs> and then I didn't say, well, yes, of course, I've heard of Stone Mountain. And they, they want to excitedly tell me about Kennesaw Mountain or the Chattahoochee River or Sweetwater Creek State Park. And those are fabulous places to go and probably places that many of your listeners have been. Um, so if you go to Sweetwater Creek State Park on a beautiful Saturday in the springtime, you're going to see a thousand people on that trail. Indeed. But if you go just around the corner from there to Boundary Waters Park, which is the Douglas County Park, that's just around the corner from where Sweetwater Creek is, you will find so few people and beautiful trails right along the Chattahoochee River. And so again, like you can just, tweak just a little bit where you're headed and find a place that really truly has solitude but just as much beauty as those famous places so that's one on the on the west side of town on the east side of town i'm going to recommend you check out this park in tucker called henderson park and most people know it because uh well there's a community garden there and soccer fields but in between there's a beautiful little pond and three three and a half miles of hiking trails uh just zigzagging through the woods, including a waterfall. 
so I love that park and it's one I go back to over and over again. And, you know, you can find the place that's close to, to your house and then uh, go there season after season and see the changes. And so it's never going to get old because there's always something new happening in nature. Wow, that, that is awesome. D2, once again, why we can say accurately delivering more value to Atlantans per podcast minute than any other possibility. It is information like that. That's really cool, Jonah. Let me ask you this as well. And you already mentioned kind of going back and perhaps seeing things that are maybe just seasonally different, let alone the progress or quite frankly, development in and around those areas. You've been in Atlanta long enough now. You arrived in 2002. You mentioned it. You were not just saying that as an example. It was legitimate that you walked from Maine to Georgia as it was becoming your home. That's right. I, uh, I did not have a home while I was on the Appalachian Trail besides my backpack. And when I got here, I stayed. <laughs> so tell me, you, you know the underbelly of Atlanta as much as anyone. Before we even talk about secret Atlanta, what are some of the things that you've seen change in and around the Atlanta area that you're really proud of? And are there any things that you've seen change that you're like, man, occasionally I just, I clench my fists or I grit my teeth knowing it's not like it was when I got here in the early 2000s. But first, let's start with those things that you're like, yeah, it has changed and it is for the better. And I'm super proud to call myself an Atlantan because things like that are different. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I don't find myself being someone who looks back on the past with super rosy lenses. Um, I really love the present that I'm in right now. And mm -hmm. so your question, I'm sure I can come up with something. And, and you know, some of the things I think about in terms of what's quote unquote better today is I see our city embracing um, uh, our civil rights history. Some of the, um, honestly, trap music is, uh, which came out of Atlanta, Atlanta's, mm -hmm you know, embracing now, which is, yeah. which is very cool. Um, I also see Atlantans embracing uh, the, the, the trees that we have around us. Um, the, and, and also the waterways, there's a group called finding mm -hmm. the Flint that is trying to lift up the fact that the Flint river, the mighty Flint starts underneath Hartsfield Jackson airport. And I love the fact that people are starting to become aware of things that were maybe um, uh, asides when I first moved here. Um, but in terms of, you know, what am I grumpy about? I just never find myself grumpy about Atlanta, I guess, except when a car buzzes past me really close when I'm bicycling, uh, uh in the city. Uh, but, but other than that, that's always happened and, uh, and hopefully it'll stop someday, but I, I rarely get grumpy about this city. That is awesome. And I, I feel the same way. I've been here just a little bit longer than you have for all of our listeners. You are not going to want to miss the close of this episode, we're going to give you a chance to win Jonah's books. That is at our expense, not yours. But for those of you who cannot wait or are already thinking about who you're going to buy copies for, I urge you to check out hikingatlanta.com. You'll find Hiking Atlanta's Hidden Forests in town and out as something that you can pick up there and pick up for others. Obviously, D2 and I would encourage you to do just that. I did not want to bring this up at the onset, because I wanted everybody to get exposure to what we knew, I did mention in my intro, professional storyteller as well. Just listening to the way you talk, you can hear immediately, I would imagine I'm not alone in the fact that, man, I bet that guy is unbelievable when it comes to telling stories or just having at the dinner table for conversation. As a professional storyteller, what does that entail? And tell us how you got started with that, because I might just have you Park Ranger Jonah, tell us a little story if you don't mind, but how do you get into professional storytelling? Well, that's a story. Uh, <laughs> just like how I found myself driving that group of second graders in that school bus two hours just to go on a short little hike. Um, in, my, uh, in my 20s and early 30s, I was leading outdoors adventures uh, for, for young people and, and for families. And we were sitting around the campfire having marshmallows. And people said, tell us a story. And I said, well, I'm not a storyteller. And then I realized I grew up with a father who was a storyteller. He literally was one of those artists that went from school to school, singing folk songs and telling stories to school children. And I went along with him. 
So I thought for a second and I realized I know all these stories that my father told me, but I've always told myself I'm never going to be like my father. <laughs> but as you probably know, Mike, whenever we tell ourselves that, we turn into exactly the same person as our father. And I found that around those campfires, people would just sit back, relax into their chairs, breathe a deep breath, and just let the story roll over them. And uh, just about anybody can do that. I mean, just like you were saying around the dinner table, there are stories that we all have that when we share them with somebody, it really connects on a deeper level and you know, just provides enjoyment. And what I found is that you can do that in so many different settings. I can do that in, in my role as a park ranger, or I can do that around a campfire. And then many times, and this is why I call myself a professional storyteller, is that people hired me to then perform stories for groups and to lead workshops about um, the art of storytelling. And there's no real secret to the art of storytelling. The moment people hear I'm a storyteller, they say, oh, I'm not a storyteller. But again, it's really just about how we define ourselves and the practice that it goes into uh, to learning both the skills of telling a good story and the content of, of the story itself. Well, that's awesome. And, and I would say, and, and we talked about this offline, even for an organization like Big Peach, running company, the reality is, is there is tremendous value in story for our culture, for our business, for how we interact with those who we wish to serve and are already serving. And for those of you who think, man, it's only in that period of my life when I can say I've got more grandchildren than I do fingers on my hand, or it's only for those occasions where the dinner table requires us to bring out extra seating, that is not necessarily true. Those are terrific instances, I would imagine, to use that skill set. But Jonah, I think, would agree that it is an everyday skill and a gift to others when you have the opportunity and have worked on your ability to tell stories. You can learn more about how to do that with Jonah and this website, super simple to remember, especially if you know how to spell his first name. It's jonahmcdonald.com. J-O-N-A-H-M-C-D-O-N-A-L-D.com. You'll see more information about how you can connect with Jonah on his storytelling. Jonah, let me ask you this. You just mentioned something I was unaware of, and that was the Flint River. Mm -hmm. Starting underneath Atlanta Hartsfield Jackson International Airport. <laughs> That's a story probably in itself in that you could tell that to someone and they'd be just amazed at the statistic. But then you also mentioned that there's a group that is now doing great work to help all of us be more mindful of that. And quite frankly, probably treat it like the valuable resource it is. Exactly. Off the cuff, perhaps, how do you take that desire to maybe see some change in and around the Flint River and that interesting fact then it starts underneath our international airport and weave it together to tell an effective story. Could I put you on the spot and ask you just to quickly kind of expand on that little tidbit you shared earlier? Yeah, you know, it's an amazing thing of how I even connected with the Find the Flint group. There's a woman named Hannah Palmer, who's really the mover and shaker behind Finding the Flint. And somebody handed me her book. She's written a book called Flight Paths, which is really just a memoir of her growing up. And the person who handed me the book said, Jonah, Hannah lived on your street when she was young. And I said, well, I've got to read about that. And so I picked up this book. And as I read about it, I learned um, not at all about finding the Flint, but I just learned these great stories about the street I lived on. And then... I invited Hannah out to coffee and got to learn more about finding the Flint. And so sometimes it's one strange thing that leads you to another strange thing and how small our little world of Atlanta is. But when you ask about how do you tell the story about the Flint, I start with something that not only blows people's mind, but calls them to action. Mm. And it's that when you think about a river, one of the most important rivers in Georgia, the Flint, beginning under one of our kind of biggest industrial areas, the airport, then you've got to think about pollution, right? So you can start that story by talking about a moment 
where there was major pollution that happened. And uh, if, if, I, if, I'm, if I recall correctly, there was a big spill of de-icing fluid that fell into the Flint River from, the Hearts, from Hartsfield Jackson Airport. And that was the moment that people started saying, wait, 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 wait. This airport is not taking care of our river. And we need to get the airport to clean that up. And the airport decided, instead of just cleaning it up and then just going on with business, the airport decided, no, we're going to market ourselves as protecting the waterways of Georgia. And now if you walk around the airport above the water fountains, there are signs about the Flint River and about how you can protect it above the water fountain in the airport that sits on top of the headwaters. And so I think what you can do is kind of start with that, that hook of here's a big problem. And now the positive story about how people are trying to solve it. Man, that is awesome. I mean, literally and figuratively, dude, I am on the edge of my seat. And as soon as you bring in something like a de-icing that all of us can kind of picture, we're sitting in the window seat and we see it happening. We're usually thankful that it is knowing before ever taking off that that has taken place. And yet we've never thought previously about, well, where does that go? especially in Atlanta, if there are others, maybe I'm the only one who has been here for 25 plus years who had no idea the Flint River was, or that the origin was under the airport. I bet that's not true. I bet there are others who are learning that right now. And look how quickly he was able to get into storytelling mode and how he brought you and me into his story so easily. It is a skill. It is obviously a gift to others. So please check that out. Learn more. That was terrific. I didn't want to put you on the spot, but I knew you could handle it. Well done, Jonah. So let's talk about something that is not putting you on the spot. It's a project that you're very much involved with right now. Last year, despite what I would imagine were pretty significant hurdles to getting a book out into the marketplace, you published Secret Atlanta, a guide to the weird, wonderful, and obscure. (laughs) As if the pandemic itself wasn't weird, and yes, even a little bit wonderful, given some changes that we all probably needed to make for ourselves, and certainly obscure if you think about how inconsistent this type of activity or this type of uh, global consideration occurs. But tell us about Secret Atlanta. What is it that made you say, wow, I have to be the one who shares this information with others. <laughs> well, I am a kid at heart, as you could probably tell. Yes. And I love scavenger hunts. And mm. what better thing to do a scavenger hunt about than the weird, the wonderful, and the obscure? And so when I first thought about writing Secret Atlanta, my mind immediately put together a list of 45 things that I love about Atlanta that I figured would be secret to at least some people. But I didn't want to just stop there. I wanted to make sure that this book was one that, you know, my secret, the thing that I think is a secret, is every day for me. But it might be secret to you. But you, Mike, probably know something about this city that I've never heard of. But it's an everyday thing for you. And so what I started doing was asking as many people as I could, what's the secret about Atlanta that I don't know? And I had people tell me more and more and more. And I was really able to flesh out this list. And then I had to write 90 different stories about Atlanta, (laughs) Um, each only 300 words each. So it became a practice in how do you really get to the kernel of a story um, and have that story tell something that's really important to people's lives. Um, If you're interested in an example, uh, one of the things that um, really struck me was I found out about a story that happened in 1962 here in Atlanta. There was a physician, a doctor who moved into the Peyton Forest neighborhood of Southwest Atlanta and the neighbors pitched a fit. Now, if a physician moved into my neighborhood today, I'd be super happy, right? Property values going up, baby. But no, this was an African-American physician and it was a white neighborhood. And the white neighbors petitioned both the council of the aldermen, uh, the city council, and the mayor, Mayor Ivan Allen Jr., and said, you have got to close our street. We want our neighborhood to become a cul-de-sac so no more black people can move into our neighborhood. And even though this is 1962, the civil rights movement is already in full swing. Mayor Ivan Allen Jr. 
put up a wall, a physical barrier between the white and black communities in that neighborhood. Well, you imagine that, uh, that when the press got, got hold of that, uh, there were headlines around the globe taking pictures of a physical barrier placed between the races here in Atlanta. Uh, one headline read, Atlanta's Berlin Wall. Eventually, there was so much pressure that that barrier was taken down and uh, African-American people ended up buying houses in the neighborhood. Uh, time went on and many of the white people uh, sold their houses and moved out to the suburbs. And this is something that we all know has happened in Atlanta, demographic shifts. Um, and today, if you go to the Payton Forest neighborhood, it's a beautiful middle-class neighborhood, uh, primarily African-American uh, residents. Um, and there is no historical marker about this important moment in the civil rights movement, which we need to be remembering, especially with the demographic changes involved in gentrification happening today. And yet you go there and it's just a sleepy suburban street. Um, and so one of the reasons I wanted to tell that story, even though there's not really a tourist destination to visit, was because that kind of story can both help us remember the past, but also be active about the future. Wow, that is an awesome indication of our history and a terrific indication of what readers will find in Secret Atlanta. Whether to help yourself or to impress your friends, I can't imagine anyone who is Atlanta proud not having that book on their bedside table for multiple readings, perhaps, but certainly each day thinking about something that has happened already before some of us even got here. Very, very cool. The people that you spoke to in compiling that work, Jonah, obviously quite diverse, people who were perhaps lifelong Atlantans, those who had been here and had generations that had preceded them as lifelong Atlantans. Tell us about some of the people who you had a chance to interact with that you just remembered them, whether it's their personality or their enthusiasm for the work you were doing. There's a woman named Barbara Hartfield who uh, I found at the very end of my writing process. Um, the story I wanted to tell about Atlanta was this smell of cookies that I could smell on DeKalb Avenue right near the Candler Park Marta station every time I was climbing at the rock climbing gym nearby there. And I wanted to tell the story of why it smelled like cookies there. And until I found out that the factory, which was indeed baking cookies, had just moved the operation. So I had to strike that story from the book. And I started looking around for something else that, that was uh, weird, wonderful, or, or obscure. And I found the Miniature Chair Museum in Stone Mountain. So I called up the Miniature Chair Museum. And Barbara, the, uh, the, the owner of it and the, the owner of the collection, uh, answered the phone and I told her what I was doing. She said, oh, come, come, I'll give you a private tour. And Barbara and I walked around for two hours in her museum looking at over 3,000 miniature chairs displayed in all different kinds of display cases throughout this tiny little museum on the main strip in, in Stone Mountain Village. Uh, my favorite part was when I got done talking to Barbara, she was so passionate about these miniature chairs. I said, Barbara, you have got to have a favorite full-size human chair. What's your favorite chair that you sit in? And she said, huh, no one's ever asked me that before. I don't think I have a favorite human-sized chair. And I said, really? You love chairs so much. She said, well, I just love the miniature ones. <laughs> and so I, um, I, I, have been urging everybody when COVID's over with to go visit the miniature chair museum. And it's not just because of the strange collection of miniature chairs, which does hold the Guinness book of world records for the most miniature chairs in any collection. Uh, but also to meet Barbara, who is just a delightful person and uh, has infectious energy around this very strange hobby that she has. Well, infectious energy is, is something that you have as well. I think it's a great reminder with what you just said, about the value and the satisfaction and enjoyment that we get just from going out and getting to places that maybe we didn't think we would take the time to get to. And then we meet someone or we're proactive about meeting others who perhaps are not like us or we would not have otherwise come in contact with if we hadn't made the conscious decision to step out. One of the things that you do, Jonah, that I'm just super enamored with, that 
you were one of the co-founders of the Peace Builders Camp. I know you're still on the board. And the story you told, I, I will fully admit that I didn't expect that we were going to get a black, white, diversity, racial consideration during civil rights time story. Love it. And now we'll look forward to that. I'm in Southwest Atlanta right now. We'll look forward to a run maybe in the very near future for me to that neighborhood, trying to seek out that particular street that you just referenced. But Peace Builders Camp obviously takes that interest you have the story with barbara shows how clearly in meeting others your enthusiasm your infectious enthusiasm for being around others but not always others who look and sound and do like you do peace builders camp as a co-founder was that the origin of why you felt like that needed to be a thing or help us understand peace builders camp before we tell others how to go and get more information yeah. Um, well, well, Peace Builders Camp was a, uh, a collaboration between myself and Marilyn McGinnis. And Marilyn had a vision for teaching young people, particularly middle school age kids, about human rights. The way I think about it is that almost always, if you say, who wants world peace? Everybody raises their hand. But if you really to dig a little deeper and say, well, how do you get peace? People don't always have an answer for that. Well, every once in a while, somebody will raise their hand and say, uh, I've heard there's no peace without justice. Okay, justice, that's great. How do you define justice? And then you get blank stares again. Well, what is justice? How do we define that? Well, luckily, there's a document that was uh, written in the 1940s and uh, signed into being by the, the United Nations called the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And that document kind of lists here are the things that we need in our world in order to truly have justice. And if we have justice, maybe that vision of world peace is possible. Well, middle school is the age where kids are just starting to say, you know what, my parents have always told me about the world, but what do I believe about the world? And so Peace Builders Camp was designed to bring together a group of kids to start thinking about, well, who do they want to be in the world and how do they want to make the world more just for everyone? But you mentioned the idea of bringing together lots of people from lots of different backgrounds. We knew that this camp would, would only be successful if it also had this level of individual people, individual middle schoolers getting mm -hmm. to know each other uh, when they don't go to the same school, when they don't go, when they don't worship the same uh, in the same religion, uh, when they haven't even come from the same country. And so we realized, well, we want a, a, a diverse camp. But what does that really mean? So we had to spread the word about camp to as many different communities as we possibly could. Um, so it wasn't just checking off boxes around diversity, but rather saying we want to invite as many people from as many different backgrounds to come to this overnight camp. Uh, and we want to break down any barriers that uh, families might have to sending their kids uh, to this camp. And so we did everything we could to make that happen. And that first summer when those kids arrived at camp, I saw them all looking around. You know, the first day of camp is always scary anyway. But imagine the first day of camp and you look around. Oh, I don't know if there's anybody who worships like me or speaks the same language at home as I do or 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 looks like me or has the same. Oh, what is this? And uh, and there was such a wide diversity of backgrounds at that camp. The campers did not segment themselves into little into little groups based upon race or religion or or, um, or rural or urban or things like that. Instead, they really built a community from scratch that, that broke through some of those boundaries that we often have, honestly, just because of our own laziness, you know, just where we live and what grocery store we go to, what school we go to, what, what, uh, what, what church or mosque we go to. And uh, it was that first summer where we saw the power of helping kids see past each other's differences, that we knew it wasn't just about teaching the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, but it was also about those personal connections between kids, uh, which can be just as powerful as information. Well, it's interesting. I, as I've seen my kids become teenagers and as I've watched you know, so many more 
you know, what we might say are kids or teenagers or young adults, I realize how much we can learn from them. And that very much includes middle schoolers. Yeah. Is there something that you still recall or that you see regularly that you're like, man, as adults, it doesn't seem like we instinctively or collectively know this, at least not as widely as we should. That you would say middle schoolers seem to get this and they even get it pretty quickly because whether they're there for a few days or whether I know this year we'll talk about the fact that it's more day camp, even if they're just there for a day, they seem to get it. What can we learn from those middle schoolers? Well, the story that comes to my mind is about this one little girl who during the whole week of camp, she was having a good time with her friends and all, but uh, didn't seem like she was very like keyed in when we would start talking about uh, you know, world, world issues, right? Um, and at the very end of camp, we asked each camper to kind of make a commitment to do something in their home community, to try to make the world a better place. And we say, we want you to tie it to one of these uh, universal human rights. Well, she chose the right to leisure, which is a human right. Not everybody has access to leisure and recreation. And so we, we allow kids to say that, but, you know, we kind of, we staff kind of rolled our eyes a little like, oh, right to leisure that she's going to want to say, yeah, I'm going to go home and play soccer more. Um, but instead, she said to us, we said, well, what, what, um, you know, what are you going to do to help make sure people in your community have the right to leisure? And she said, well, it's my mom. She works two jobs and you know, she has three kids. And when she gets home from her job then she has to cook and she has to clean. I don't really think she she's has access to the right to leisure. So one day a week, I'm going to clean up after dinner so she can put her feet up. And that seems like such a small little thing. Is that going to create world peace? That one little moment where that girl had a, had a thought of how she could help her mom. I mean, who knows? Is that going to stop wars? Is that going to pull, pull soldiers out of Afghanistan? No. But it's that awareness that she was able to connect this big picture idea of not everybody has access to leisure to this very specific thing in her life and a small way that she could give a loved one um, a moment of peace. And so that's the kind of thing. We adults oftentimes get into this idea that we have to do something really big, really grand in order to fix the world. But that girl looked at her own life and she chose something that she could accomplish. Um, and uh, it's just beautiful to think about to think about the wisdom of that girl who we thought wasn't paying any attention when we were talking about human rights. Well, I love that because the two terms that come to mind, one of them you said, Jonah, and the reason I love this is I think all of us, maybe especially as adults, I can only speak from my own personal experience, we don't give ourselves the privilege and we don't have anybody around us reminding us just to be aware, to be maybe even hyper aware of what's going on around us. We don't have that camp counselor in our daily existence that says, yeah. we're going to give you some curriculum. We really want your perspective on it. We really want you to consider this. And so we go through our routines and largely unaware, but even more inspiring in that story to me was we, she took action. Yeah. She didn't just become aware of the curriculum or the conversation or the opportunity that her co-campers and obviously the counselors were providing she then made a commitment to action yeah. when she got back and what an awesome reminder as an adult because i can become more aware but what did i do not just what did i say so i think that's that's really really cool for those of, of you who are like man i'm in i need to learn more do not delay peacebuilderscamp.org just like it sounds put those three words together peace builderscamp.org. Jonah, this year, of course, a little bit different Yeah. given what's going on. How are you going to orchestrate the camp this year, all things considered? Well, that's the staff is coming up with uh, smart plans, science-based plans to make sure that there's as much safety as possible. And also we're experimenting with some day camp options in several cities around Georgia. So it's not just overnight uh, camp, but but rather having opportunities to get kids together uh, close to their homes. Uh, so I think uh, it, I think it's actually going to be a really cool and inspiring summer. Every time Peace Builders Camp decides to kind of create a new program or go in a different direction, uh, seems something gold gold seems to come out of it. So I'm I'm really I'm really proud of what the Peace Builders staff are are, are envisioning for this summer. 
That's awesome. It's going to be a cool summer. I love the fact that you guys are figuring out ways to make that happen. It would be a shame if it was anything but that. I got a note before we started that uh, it's not just Secret Atlanta as a project of yours. Also, you're working Atlanta Science Festival. When I said well-rounded at the beginning of this, I didn't even know how well-rounded. Tell me about the Atlanta Science Festival and some of the cool stuff you're doing there. To some degree, it sounds like you're bringing all of your interests to bear on this project. And there are plenty who are going to get the chance to benefit as a result. What's going on with the Atlanta Science Festival? Well, the Atlanta Science Festival happens in March of each year. And this year, because they're the Atlanta Science Festival, they decided, well, we have to follow the science. So they're not doing their typical festival where everything's indoors with a big group of 50 people. Um, so they, they called me up and they said, Jonah, we know, we know you love hiking. We know you love walking. We know you love running and, and bicycling. We also know you love storytelling. What we want to do is combine all that into something that we're going to call the Discovery Walks. And would you help us create a walking route in different areas, walking routes in different areas of the city that each have stops that explain hidden science facts around our city? Well, now that I say that out loud, I think, how the heck did I do that? But I, I but, but it happened. And uh, these discovery walks are now available from the Atlanta Science Festival. I'm just really proud of it. There's a walk on the east side Beltline in Piedmont Park. There's a walk through Cascade Springs Nature Preserve, which is a beautiful spot on the west side of town. There's a walk through the city of Decatur. And there's a walk through the Sweet Auburn neighborhood. And uh, along each walk, are these stops in which you can learn something kind of cool, uh, weird, wonderful, and obscure about science. And so it's kind of like these discovery walks are a, a, a mishmash of uh, Hiking Atlanta's Hidden Forest and Secret Atlanta. And uh, uh, in the first weekend of the Science Festival this year, over people picked up maps and went on these walks. So I'm really hopeful that the Science Festival will keep that ball rolling and keep people out walking and learning about science. Well, speaking of that, just because I want to do the same, keep them learning about it, where can they find a little bit more information, given the fact that this year, almost in the rear view, is there a place that you might say, hey, but part of the legacy can be found here? Yeah, um, the Atlanta Science Festival's website is scienceatl.org, so uh, scienceatl.org, and then you can just do slash walks, and you'll find the discovery walks there. Um, again, it's not my product. It's Atlanta Science Festivals. But because I got to write it, um, I, uh, I'm, shoot, I'm, I'm telling everybody I can about it because uh, I'm proud of it. A proud partner indeed. And we'll put Science ATL along with other links that we've already talked about in our show notes. So listeners, do not despair. If you didn't get that down, you'll be able to find it in our show notes. Before we let you go, there are occasionally questions that I have for our featured conversation that are kind of off the wall and maybe even bordering on unfair. I feel <laughs> at liberty to ask this question. Oh, really? Hearing more about you. If it is not, then you'll just have to say, go to commercial and let everybody know how they can win my books. But here's the question <laughs> for you. If you would help us go to a break and find fashion, you know so much about Atlanta. You know so much about Atlanta's history. If you could take a walk or a hike, anywhere with anyone alive or deceased what would you say would be that ideal afternoon where and with whom my friend oh wow my goodness put you on the spot didn't i yeah but i i had somebody pop into my head but i don't know if i want to say out loud who i'd want to walk with oh we're really tempting you <laughs> um so i think i'd be interested in walking with william mcintosh Oh, man. Tell me more about Mr. William McIntosh was a chief of the Muscogee Creek Nation. And he was the person who sold the land kind of against the will of his people, sold the land that is now Atlanta to the U.S. government. Uh, he, his people, uh, the Muscogee Nation, was so upset at him, they showed up at his house, set his house on fire when he and his sons ran out of the house to escape the fire. They shot him dead. 
Uh, it, it's quite a story, wow. um, but it's uh, in many ways the origin story of why European Americans now live on the land that we're living in. And I just, I would want to hear everything I could about William McIntosh, and I would love to walk with him across Soapstone Ridge, which is uh, a geological location in uh, southeastern, it's kind of DeKalb County area. Um, and I'd want to to look for um, the the people that came before the Muscogee Creek people who used to quarry the soapstone and trade soapstone bowls uh, far and wide across the Southeast. Um, that that would be an amazing day. And I don't know if William McIntosh would be very happy with the questions I would ask him. <laughs> well, man, I asked you a question. I put you on the spot and you delivered in space, my friend. That was really, really cool. Listeners, dear listeners, do not go anywhere. D2 and I are going to tell you how to win the books from Jonah McDonald. That includes Hiking Atlanta's Hidden Forest and Secret Atlanta, a guide to the weird, wonderful, and obscure. Jonah, you are a gift to this community. Certainly, this conversation has been so enjoyable. I know it will not be the last time we connect. In the meantime, wish you all the best with everything you have going on. Thanks again for being part of this. Thank you, Mike. You're too kind, and it really is fun talking with you. Uh, I hope we can continue this someday. We certainly will, and we will be right back after this very brief message. Running makes you feel good. Running is healthy and good for you. Running can even be therapeutic, but running doesn't define you. You are not a runner, but running gives you life. At Big Peach Running Company, we get it. That's why we are the number one running store for those that don't call themselves a runner. That's why our guests use terms like friendly, thoughtful, attentive to describe us in reviews. Come see us at any of our seven metro Atlanta area locations or visit us at bigpeachrunningco.com. And welcome back to the Run ATL podcast, D2. Part of being a proud Atlantan is just recognizing how many cool people are literally within arm's reach in and around us in this great city. Jonah McDonald, one of those people. Yeah, I mean the the stories and the stuff that he talked about is amazing. Uh, you know, I think yeah, you know, he should be you know part of a historical society or something that you know just a knowledge. And I mean the I, the I never even knew there was a river running underneath Hartsfield. And I do remember walking through because I typically don't take the the the, the train the the tram back to baggage claim. I typically will walk wherever I'm at and just you know after sitting on a plane all day I just want to you know walk and I've seen the exhibits and I've seen all that but I don't think I've ever really paid attention to the fact that it's connected to a river underneath Hartsfield. Yeah, I certainly had not either. Connection, whether rivers to airports or whether it's us to the community, we have the good fortune of serving. Connection Matters D2, one of the podcast guests we had last year, he's back at it. He and his wife, full of cool ideas, always connecting with the community. Why don't you catch us up to speed to what they're doing? Yeah, so um, the you know, group runner, which does some awesome hats and shirts, they're uh, doing uh, the Atlanta Grand Prix is back again. So uh, you know, for those of you that you know, either remember or maybe you didn't know about it, you know, they put on a series of races, um, six of them that took place at, at two weeks apart. And it was virtual, but there was an actual course that you had to run and you had to submit those times and those times were then tracked. And, you know, if you were, you know, if you're going for it and you're really competing, there were prizes at the end, including a trophy. Um, And they also had uh, every two weeks, they would also do raffle prizes, you know, uh, including some big peach stuff and uh, coffee and other things that they were doing based with that they partner up with their sponsors. So they're back at it again. They're doing it. um, May 31st is the first race and it ends August 22nd. So you can sign up. Um, We'll have that uh, link to that in in the show notes, but it's Atlanta Grand Prix. Um, I participated last year and I'm coming back because I need to defend my old man title. I won the trophy for, you know, uh, you know, old, old man, I guess, you know, masters. Um, so I have that trophy and I need to come back and, and defend that. So I will be back doing that. So that's an exciting thing. I think it's a fun, it's a unique way of using an app to run a specific course and you can run it as many times as you want to submit your fastest time. And, and and just go out there and com- and compete. And this is not your typical, you know, um, 
type of course. This is a little bit fun. It takes you a little bit off trail, you know, and some of it might be through an alley. Some may be through some, you know, on, on the belt line. Some of it may be, you know, through some side streets, areas where you typically would not have run. Um, you know, I remember last year running underneath Georgia World Congress Center and by Mercedes Benz and, you know, through downtown, some areas that are familiar, but, you know, crossing railroad tracks and going underneath parking garages and decks and things like that. I'm like, it was so cool because it's not something I normally would have done and it's a unique experience and even doing it virtually you know um you there were always people out there running you could always run by someone who who's on the course as well um so you had that socially distanced but still that kind of camaraderie where you like saw people out there connecting jonah's hidden forest and secret atlanta with justin and kate's atlanta grand prix and your description that's no accident we are intentional at the run atl podcast (laughs) you will find your own hidden forests and secret parts of atlanta if you register like d2 said we will put the link for those of you who thought man i missed that episode it's number 92 check out justin and kate arsenal on episode number 92 like d2 said they also are the brains and brawn behind runner which is a brand you can find at big peach running company they do some cool things and share that in episode number 92 what we are also now sharing d2 run atl recently released products for spring and summer now available in all big peach running company locations yeah, that's right. So this is the first batch of runny tail shirts uh, for 2021. We always tend to, you know, have new shirts, new colors, new designs. So those are out and available now in store, and there will be more coming. Um, you know, our, uh, you know, Trisha, who's in charge of our apparel um, and is designing and working with vendors on these shirts, um, is doing an awesome job and trying to get a a a whole you know collection throughout the year and they're they're looking awesome and i think you guys will be really happy with them um i know i'm looking forward to them so uh yeah they're in, available in our stores and also on our website at bigpeachrunningco.com very cool well we are coming on the home stretch g2 but we've got work to do yet we said we were giving books away let's do that what we are going to ask you you are going to need to connect with d2 and i you can do that podcast at BigPeachRunningCo.com. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at BigPeachRunningCO.com. Here's what you need to send us. It does not need to be lengthy. It can be just a phrase or sentence. What is your secret that you can tell us about Atlanta or where, especially if you've not yet seen Jonah's book, is your hidden place to go for a walk, a hike, or a run that you would be willing to disclose to us. Have we heard about it? Did we know previously that such existed, whether it's your secret from Atlanta, about Atlanta, something somehow connected to Atlanta, or that hidden gem that you're willing to share with D2 and I, the one that we believe is best, you, our friend, will get at our expense, not yours. Copies of both of Jonah's books. Again, you can send your answer to podcast at bigpeachrunningco.com. And D2, I believe that is a wrap. We have another one in the books, well over 100 episodes now. Our cadence has been reestablished, and we are looking forward to some tremendous episodes and featured conversations coming up, including our special track and field episode as we get ready for the state championships. We have a former collegiate champion coming, and we've got some cool things to celebrate this community as we get the warmer temperatures and the return of some humidity. D2, once again, thank you for all that you do. And on behalf of Dolomite Dave, this is Mike Cosentino saying, as you already know, and as we collectively believe, our best miles are those covered on foot.